invite you to open up your Bibles this morning to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, beginning with the 19th verse. We are taking a week off from our IM series. Since there's no small groups meeting this next week, we're off on the IM series. We're still in the Gospel of John, and we're kind of looking at the end of the Gospel of John at the implications of uh, who Jesus is, what that means for our lives. John chapter 20, beginning with the 19th verse. John 20, beginning with verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, Even so, I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks for your word this morning. And now as we turn our attention to your word, God, we ask that you would take these words of Jesus, burn them in our hearts, burn them in our minds, We pray that you take these words and create that which you desire from our lives. God, we offer ourselves to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. About once or twice a week, I have the opportunity of walking in on a little preschool music class, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, and five-year-olds trying to learn some songs. Down at Compassion Child Care, we've got a woman who volunteers to come in and, and teach music class. She's a been a teacher in the school district for many years and retired now and teaches music to three and four-year-olds and and some five-year-olds. Well, every time I walk in, I walk in and I go, this is chaos. Are they getting anything done? Thing. So they've got little hula hoops that they they stand in to tell them where they go. But most of the time, one or two of those kids has the hula hoop around their arm like this. A couple of other kids are usually poking at some of the other kids standing in there And at least one or two of the kids are facing the wrong direction and singing a different song. I look at the situation and I say, if I was the teacher in there, there would be some nice words being said to the three and four-year-olds. And there would probably be a little hand gesture, sit down thing. But in the midst of this chaos, this teacher standing up in front, she's on tune and she's singing the right words and she's calm and collective. I'm thinking to myself, How can anyone in the midst of chaos be calm and collective? This morning, I would contend, and you would probably agree with me, that the majority of our lives are like a preschool music class. Everything around us is chaos. Things around us, circumstances, are going wild. Well, the question is, in the midst of chaos, are we like the preschool music teacher? Are we calm. I don't think I have to lay the argument out very far this morning that our world is in the midst of chaos. You could say that Christians all around the world today, in America and also in other places, are huddling up. Christians in America are now huddling up because they're afraid. In other words, Christians are getting together saying, we don't know what to do. 
All of the laws are against Jesus. We don't know what to do. All of society is immoral. Christians are huddling up in other parts of the world because they're afraid for their lives. They don't know if they're going to make it. They don't know if persecution is going to continue. There's chaos all over the world. Kids' favorite website these days, one of them is YouTube. Well, the reality is this. You go to YouTube, the very first video that you're going to probably watch on YouTube is a beheading from the Middle East. And it's not going to stop. And 20 years from now, our kids are going to face the exact same thing. When they go to YouTube, there's going to be more gruesome videos than there are today. We live in the middle of chaos. The question is, in the middle of that chaos, can there still be calm? Can there still be a sense of rest and a sense of good? This morning we hear Jesus use some words that are common to us because we've been going to church forever. But some words that would have been very refreshing to the disciples that heard Him that morning. Jesus says, Peace be with you. These disciples are huddled up. Much like you and I are huddled up this morning. The disciples are huddled up because they're afraid of the Jews. They're afraid of the Roman Empire. They don't know what's going to happen. They've got locked doors. And what does end up happening? Jesus comes in their midst and says, Peace be with you. Is this just a formal greeting that Jesus is giving? Or is Jesus actually trying to deliver something to them? Jesus is delivering something to them that they can experience even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of uncontrollable circumstances. This morning, as we look at the words of Jesus, we discover that we cannot get peace through nice, quiet circumstances. But rather, we only get peace from one person. If you're looking for peace from controllable circumstances, you're never going to have it. Because you're never in control of all of your circumstances. If you're looking for peace from the culture around you, you're never going to have it. Because the culture around us is always going to be uncontrollable. If you're looking for peace, we find this morning that there's only one place to find it. Peace does not come through calm and controllable circumstances. Rather, peace comes through the Prince of Peace Himself, Jesus the Messiah. If you turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 14, just flip back a little bit to John chapter 14, verse 27. So in John chapter 20, we're looking at Jesus after the resurrection. The crucifixion and the resurrection have happened, and so he's coming to his disciples and reassuring them, hey, you can have peace. Now John 14 is right before his crucifixion. John 14, verse 27, Jesus says the following. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Jesus is preparing his followers for some problems that are about to come. And he says, hey, peace be with you. But what type of peace does Jesus give? Well, he says right here, he does not give the peace that the world gives. You and I often define peace by the absence of conflict. Well, just because there is no conflict does not mean that there is peace. 
The peace that Jesus is talking about goes back to an Old Testament concept called shalom. Maybe you've heard this word shalom. It's used a lot in in the Old Testament. It's used a lot in the Middle East. The concept of shalom goes back to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 where God creates creation and says all is good. It's, It's taught to be a time of shalom, a time of paradise and peace. And then if you look ahead to Revelation, chapter 20, 21, it's talking about the very end where again, God brings a new heavens and a new earth together, recreating this paradise, bringing shalom once again. So so the piece of the Bible is this idea of wholeness, where creation is actually acting in the way that it should. It's more than the absence of conflict, but it's actually rest where there is good present. Peace that Jesus wants us to have is where we have rest where there is good present. So there is an offensive mechanism here, good. It's not just a simple defensive or a, def- or a simple without trouble. I don't know about you, but I'm sure at some point, just like me, you've had trouble with other people. Either at work or at home or even here at church, you've had conflict. And maybe at some point that conflict ended, you were no longer yelling at each other, or you're no longer actively trying to do something to the other person. But when that conflict ended, maybe what ended up happening is you just simply avoided each other. You're not going out for lunch with each other now. You're just avoiding each other. Well, that doesn't mean you have peace. That means you have the absence of conflict. What Jesus is speaking to us today is peace, that we would have wholeness, that we would have rest where good is present. And so Jesus shows up with his disciples and he reminds them, I'm here to give you this peace. Well, how do we pursue this peace in the midst of chaos around us? The first thing that we do to pursue this peace is very simply keep our eyes on the prize. Many of you are probably familiar with the story in the Bible where the disciples are in a boat and there's a problem, the waves are starting to build, and the boat might tip over. And the disciples are wondering, what are we going to do? And then they look out, and there's someone walking on water. Jesus is coming to them, walking on water. And then Peter gets out of the boat. And Peter starts to walk on water, but Peter also starts to sink. Well, why does Peter start to sink? Because he starts to look at the waves rather than looking at Jesus. If we want to experience peace, the very first thing that we have to do is put our eyes on the prize, the eyes on the one who gives us peace, Jesus himself. The problem for the majority of us is that we get so caught up with looking at all of those around us. We put our vision on culture. We put our vision on our circumstances rather than putting our vision on someone who is objective. You see, everything around us is subjective. It's constantly changing. There's only one who is objective, Jesus the Christ. And so if we want to experience peace, Jesus never promises that the circumstances are going to go well. It's actually the opposite. He tells his followers, there's going to be problems. Thing. But yet he promises peace. How can this be? It's because he knows we can keep our eyes on the prize, eyes on someone who is objective, even when everything around us is wavy, is crashing against us. The very first step to pursuing peace is to put your eyes on the prize. 
to saturate on Jesus. And we do that by studying the Word. We do that by saturating ourselves in the Bible, for it's in the Bible that we know Christ. If you're constantly living in worry or anxiety, it's because you've focused on your circumstances. You're not saturated on the person of Jesus. Pursue peace by keeping your eyes on the prize. The second thing that we have to do if we're going to pursue peace is turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Many of you are familiar with this Bible passage. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Philippians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul is in prison. The Apostle Paul is experiencing lots of difficulty and he writes these words. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here we find the practical step to pursuing peace from the Apostle Paul. This is not just some religious slogan that the Apostle Paul is giving. He's giving us a direct command from God that if we want to pursue peace, if we want to be able to rejoice as he's rejoicing, if we want to have the peace that surpasses all understanding, he says it very simply. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If you want to pursue peace, you've got to be a person of prayer. And what this means is very simply, just having at our top of our tongues our requests and our thanks to God. Now, this is not just some nice little religious idea while we show up on Sunday morning and the pastor prays for all of us and we're good to go. But there's this constant theme where the Apostle Paul says, pray continually. That we should constantly be in a state where we can say, God, help with this. God, thank you for this. Because being in a state of prayer actually puts us in a state of trust. When you're in a state of prayer, what you're doing is you're saying, there's someone more authoritative than me out there. There's someone who's in higher power than I. So prayer is actually putting us in our proper place. And when we're in a position of prayer, we're in a position of trust. God, work this out for your good. If we want to pursue peace, we've got to be quick to prayer. God, you are aware of this. Give me wisdom. But also, when we're quick to prayer, notice what it says here, but in everything with thanksgiving. You know, we're really quick to prayer when there's chaos, right? God, I'm going to be five minutes late. Do not let that train stop on that track. Right? Or if something's going wrong, hurry up, put on Facebook. Everybody pray for me. I'm going in for a test. We're really quick to prayer when we've got a request or a need. But are we really quick with our thanksgiving? When's the last time that you finished just a nice walk and you said, God, thank you for this moment of being in your creation? When's the last time that you just enjoyed a nice greasy buffet at Pizza Inn and you said, God, thank you for your glory thing? Have you given thanks for the little things and also the great things? Being in a position of thanks moves us out of a position of grumbling and complaining, which helps us in our pursuit of peace. 
are you quick to prayer this morning? Are we quick to say, God, help me with this? I've said before and really want to encourage this, that prayer is not necessarily something that we do for 30 minutes in the morning, two minutes in the morning. But prayer is a spirit that we're in throughout the day. So maybe you start your day simply by saying, God, today I'm living in Jesus' name. Maybe for the next seven days, just wake up and say, God, I'm living today in Jesus' name. What that means is that, A, I'm doing everything for Jesus' honor, but B, God, I'm coming to you at any moment with any request. And not based upon my goodness, but based upon the perfection and the goodness of Jesus Christ. That way, throughout the day, you're feeling guilty about something. It's not like, man, I, I can't go to prayer right now because I'm guilty. Well, you're, not going, you're never going to prayer because you're good. You're going to prayer in Jesus' name. So even in the midst of the failure, you still go to God in prayer. If we want to pursue peace, the first thing we have to do is put our eyes on the prize. The second thing we have to do is be people saturated in prayer with thanksgiving. Jesus gives a powerful word to the disciples. Peace be with you. If you turn back with me to John chapter John chapter 20, Jesus does not just give peace and say, hey, you're good to go. Now try and keep everything nice and tidy. Get together with some other Christians every seven days, look at each other and say, you're okay. That's not the idea. Jesus says, peace be with you. And then look what he says next. Verse 21. Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus gives peace and then he gives power to go. This morning, you've got a great deal of authority, a great deal of power that's untapped. You've got power for two things this morning. The first, you've got power to go. Look with me if you would at verse 22. Jesus, he says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Our source of power is the Holy Spirit, which is God himself. Why does Jesus give us the Holy Spirit? To go. The point of the Spirit is not so we can be comfortable and feel good. The Spirit comes to empower us to be about the mission of God. If you look at Acts chapter 1, where the Spirit is then given, the whole purpose is this. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. The giving of the Spirit is to go. Jesus gives you peace and then He gives you the power to go. The point of the church is not to gather, gather, gather. But the point of the church is to go, go, go. Do we gather as a church? Yes, we gather as a church to encounter Christ through His written Word. But that's not the end game. The end game is to go to complete the mission of Jesus. Notice the emphasis he puts here in verse 21. He, Jesus compares us to himself. He says, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. In other words, Jesus is saying, Hey, you're now completing what I started. You're now going to continue what I have been doing. Jesus was a missionary, and now he's saying, Now you're missionaries. We've been given peace, but that peace is given to us to give out. Now we've been given power to go. But that's not even the most power that we've been given. 
Look with me, if you would, at the next verse, 23. Jesus says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. There's all. (laughs) Jesus is saying to his disciples, You decide who's forgiven. I, I mean, I can't think of any other explanation. It's pretty straightforward. Jesus says, if you forgive them, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. We live our whole lives saying, right, who are we to decide? We don't want to be the moral police. No one should be the moral police. God alone decides. I don't don't know. Maybe you can come up with something different here. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Jesus is giving power to continue the mission, and then Jesus is giving His authority. He's saying, okay, church, here you go. You've got the keys to the kingdom. Maybe you've heard a joke before about, oh, so-and-so passed away and they ran into Peter at the gate. You've heard these jokes about Peter at the gate? Someone didn't just come up with this idea of Peter at the gate. It actually goes back to a teaching in the Bible where Jesus gives Peter the keys to the kingdom. You read in other spots where Jesus says, you now have the keys to the kingdom. The reason that Peter is at the gate in all of these jokes is because in the Bible, Jesus gives his disciples the keys to the kingdom, which is the forgiveness of sins. And so in the Catholic Church, they took this teaching in the Catholic Church to say, okay, Jesus gave Peter the final say, that there is no forgiveness unless Peter lays out his blessing. And so then... Anybody that comes up next has got to follow in the lineage of Peter. And so there, there's got to be a succession of popes and a succession of bishops because there's no forgiveness unless it comes down through this strain of authority. And so to be forgiven, you've got to go and you've got to hear it from the person of authority. Well, we teach that Jesus here is not speaking specifically to Peter. Jesus here is speaking to the disciples that are gathered In other words, to the church. So Jesus has actually given this authority to the church, to followers of Christ, to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. Martin Luther says there is no salvation without the forgiveness of sins. So if you have to be forgiven to experience salvation, then who's in charge of giving out forgiveness? The church! We've been given a great amount of power and authority. What are we doing with that power and authority? Are we proclaiming forgiveness in Christ's name? Are we just keeping it for ourselves? Jesus says, peace be with you. Go! Jesus wants us in the business of delivering that peace to other people. This last couple of months, we've been reading as a leadership team this book called The Missional Church. And maybe some of you have been reading it along with us. It's, it's very simply a book that talks about how does the church begin to live out the mission of Jesus Christ. The main point of the book is very simply this. Jesus came to save sinners. Now the church must continue to reach out and to save sinners. So the point is very simple. Saying, hey, the church is meant to go The church is not meant to gather together and look at each other. And so the book is basically saying, how do we do this? How do we be in the business of saying, we want to go 
be in the mission of God rather than being in the mission of let's gather together and feel good. So that's what we're wrestling with. Why are we wrestling with this? We're wrestling with it because Jesus says it right here. Jesus says, this is it. This is what I want you to do. Now, we've all heard empty promises before. We've all been in those situations where someone has said they're going to do something and they don't, and then we hear from them again, they're going to say, well, yeah, I'll get it next time. And when they say that, their words are empty. They don't mean anything. Promises are completely dependent upon the one giving the promise. Well, the reason that these words this morning mean something, peace be with you, is because of the one saying them. These disciples are scared for their lives. They don't know what's going to happen. The Roman government might just say, hey, we need to clean up the rest of this Jesus mess. I mean, the Roman government wanted to squelch Jesus and wanted to squelch that movement. The Roman government was probably like, hey, if there's any of these loose followers out there, let's get them and let's get it taken care of so this thing doesn't spread any further. That's why they're locked behind doors. But Jesus comes and he says, peace be with you. And then what happens? You read the rest of the story in the book of Acts. The doors are no longer locked. And these guys are no longer the same guys. They're not standing behind locked doors. They're standing on the street saying, hey, arrest me if you have to, but I'm saying this in Jesus' name. Well, what changed everything? What changed everything is the one with power came and gave them peace and also gave them power. You see, these are not empty words, peace be with you, because the great I am is giving them these words. The one who says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. This is the one saying, peace be with you. Go into the world and make a difference. This morning, some of you got chaos in your lives. I look around at my own life sometimes, and I'm sure you look at your own life sometimes, and basically it's just a bottle of worry. And we all handle our worry in different ways. Some of us just try and work harder, because if we're busy, we don't have to worry about the worry. Some of us handle our worry by, I'm just going to have a drink when I get home at night. Or some other addiction. I'm going to ride my motorcycle for three hours every night. That's how I'm going to handle my worry. I'm going to handle my worry just bottling it up and then all of a sudden, now I'm physically ill. We're a bunch of bottles of worry. Which is a complete contradiction to the name that we bear, which is the name of Jesus Christ who says, peace be with you. We should not be people of worry, but we should be people who are experiencing rest in the presence of good. And not only should we be people of peace, but we should be people who are on the go rather than huddling up saying, oh crap, the world is collapsing, nobody believes what we believe, let's get together and give each other strength. Rather, we should be saying, hey, let's get together and strategize for how we can go out and be about the mission of God. We don't look to each other for peace, we look to Jesus for peace. So many of us are in such a difficult situation that we say, everything's chaos. I want one thing stable in my life. That one thing stable, I want to be the church. I want to be able to come to church, have something that I know, I want to be able to relax, I want to be able to get renewed because everything is chaos. 
That's never the way Jesus intended the church to operate. He did not intend it to be a nice, tidy place. But He meant it to be a place where there's going to be constant trouble because the name of Jesus is being proclaimed, which means there's going to be constant persecution. That we do not find our strength in a nice, tidy church, but we find our strength in the One who owns the church, Jesus Christ. And we keep our focus on Him, the prized possession. For hundreds of centuries, I don't know how many centuries, whatever, centuries, hundreds of years, thousands of years, the church has been gathering on Sunday mornings. People get up and they say, peace be with you. I've never understood this. Why are we sharing the peace with one another? I got the peace from Jesus. Why do I need Frank to tell me, peace be with me? We're great at sharing the peace on Sunday mornings. But how about Wednesday at 3 o'clock? Jesus does not share the peace with us, so we gather and share it with one another. Jesus shares the peace with us so that we go and share it with the world. This morning, maybe share the peace with one another, but more importantly, share the peace at 3 o'clock on Wednesday, 7 o'clock on Thursday night. In the midst of chaos and confusion, in the midst of fear, Jesus comes and says, Peace be with you. But He does not stop there. He says, As the Father has sent Me, even so I am sending you. Today, do you want to tap into that peace? Do you want to experience that peace? You experience it by putting your vision on the prized possession, Jesus Himself. You experience that peace by entering into a life of prayer. But then you begin to live out that peace by going with the power that God has given us. Power to go and power to proclaim the forgiveness of sin. Let's not continue to be a bunch of bottles of worry. Let's not continue to be a bunch of people that bottle up our authority and never use it. Let's let the worry out of the bottle. Let's let the authority out of the bottle. Let's be people of peace. Let's be people who use our power to go and proclaim the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ. Peace be with you. Now go and share that peace. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank You for being our peace. Thank You for being our strength in the midst of the storm. God, I pray that You'd burden each of our hearts this morning to be people of prayer. Lord, I pray for anyone this morning that's in the midst of chaos right now. God, I pray that by Your miraculous strength, You'd give them the ability to focus in on You. Lord, I also pray this morning that by Your divine working, You would bring each of us into contact this next week with someone in need of peace. God, put someone in our pathway that we can proclaim forgiveness to. God, help us to be people who share Your peace. Thank You, God, for Your kindness. Thank You for Your patience. Above all, thank You for being the Prince of Peace. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.